this group's coming from overseas. The brief we were given was competitive collaboration with some negotiating and Wild West. And, th and that was it, that's all they said. And so we thought, okay, how are we gonna do this? This is Up in the Air, a show about travel adventures, frequent flying, and the unique experiences we have along the way. I'm Ian Agrimis, and in this episode, you'll hear from Kevin Jackson about how he founded the private tour company EXP Journeys and went from taking Groupon customers rock climbing to creating custom luxury trips for some of the biggest celebrities in the world. Whatever preconceived notion you have about unique travel experiences, I need you to put that aside because unless you've traveled with Kevin Jackson and his team at EXP Journeys, your definition of unique probably doesn't cover the level of detail, fantasy, and exclusivity that his clients experience on his trips. I can tell you that mine definitely did not until I had the chance to film an EXP travel program. At the event, a financial firm from New York built rafts with materials provided by the team in order to get themselves off of an abandoned island in the Bahamas before spearfishing a lobster, sword fighting an actual pirate, and conducting a scavenger hunt on jet skis, all in the name of finding clues to the location of a buried treasure hidden on an island nearby. EXP has made a name for themselves after nearly a decade of hard work crafting amazing experiences for their clients, many of whom have names you might recognize, if they could be repeated on the podcast. Sorry, but we're talking A-list. Before they were entrusted to build out amazing experiences for their clients, they had humble beginnings. We started in Australia when I was doing my MBA at the University of Queensland with this idea that we didn't want to get real jobs after we graduated, so we thought we would actually start a travel company. Uh, this was in 2007, and the idea was to take people from the U.S. down to Chile and do trips to Patagonia and Atacama, and it all sounded fantastic in theory. and then. You have no idea what you're doing, and then you step out, and global financial crisis happens, and so nobody yeah, was traveling right. anywhere until the um, economy crashed. Exactly. So, uh, but we still wanted to give it a, a run and see what we could do. And you know, we had a lot of personal experience in the outdoor industry and traveling, and, and had a lot of um, connections. So. We still were promoting Chile and did run some trips to Patagonia, which were great, but then realized very quickly that we we didn't have enough interest being a startup in a bad economy to do that full time. So we diverted to operating trips domestically here in the States. Mm -hmm. um, and back in, oh, that was probably 2008, there really wasn't anybody else doing it um, at the level that we were trying to go for. Being the kind of luxury boutique experience. Correct. Yeah. And so trying to do it similarly to what we did for Patagonia. And, you know, I'll be honest, one of the big things was in that time frame, I think it was 2009 when really Groupon started, we decided to do a Groupon for San Diego and offer rock climbing, which hadn't been done at the time. I remember looking at the ticker and I set the bar at, I think 40 was the minimum. Oh, even if it gets to 38, I might buy two myself just to make <laughs> the sure minimum reservations that uh, that had to be purchased in order for the deal to work. Right. Correct. Exactly. So we then decided or I was uh, looking at it that day and all of a sudden I realized, well, gosh, it's look like we might hit that mark. And then by 
4 p.m., we had about 1,200 people had signed up for rock climbing that day. Oh, so man. it's like, wow, we hit the mark, um, right. <laughs> which was good. And then it was also a little bit uh, scary because I had one rope and one helmet and one harness. So now I had to figure out how to make it all happen. Sure. You know, I think part of it was you, you just, we were able to make it, buy the equipment, use the proceeds from the the group on sale. I was able to bring in Andrew at that moment. So that was like mm-hmm. to late 2009. And from that point, that was really the pivot point between, are we able to make it to, okay, here we go. We're actually going to make, make this work. So, right. And then from that point along, we started doing more corporate trips. So that 2000, February of 2011 was our first big corporate program. Some of them you've been a part of. Yep. And then we started to get introduced more to the luxury travel market through our partners in Australia and New York and all these other spots. And, and then travel industry just kept getting bigger and bigger pretty much mm-hmm. from 2010 till pretty much March of 2020. And then it's mm-hmm. retracted. Let me back up a little bit because you start taking these people on these experiences what was the name of your company at the time? At the time, it was called the Southern Terrain. Okay, right. So you start taking these people rock climbing, and I presume you had acquired a few more ropes and helmets. We did. But once you, I mean, obviously, so people are like, okay, we really enjoyed that. We'd love to do something else with you. What else do you do? Yep. So what did you, what'd you tell them, or what, what did you offer? So we offered Mount Whitney. We offered Catalina Island. We offered... Canyoneering in the Southwest, um, Joshua Tree, and we also offered courses, so rock climbing courses in the same area. You know, we did get some traction from those. The reality is, and I'm very much part of this, the Groupon client, well, I guess we'll call them, isn't really interested in a big multi-day expedition. Um, they're more interested in introduction to rock climbing and having that half-day trip um, with their friends. Mm-hmm. but. There, we definitely did meet some people and got some exposure for some of our other trips. So it, it was good. It wasn't our main avenue of new business coming in. Yeah, yeah. The other part of your business now, which you start to develop, is this luxury glamping mm-hmm. and camping mm-hmm. uh, offering. And I, I know in order to do that, you kind of had to acquire these permits for the land. So walk me through the process of getting that going because it's something that doesn't really exist outside of Africa much at least. Yeah. No, it's definitely something that's become more popular. I think the concept glamping has a lot of variation in, in the definition, but for us, you know, we really were trying to find an alternative to um, the park lodging, not because we don't like park lodging, but because it was never really available um, for when we wanted to go. And we had permits. Like, like a national park. Like a national park. Yeah. National park permits or national recreation area permits. Uh, we had these permits for guiding purposes. And so we already had the required documentation and the insurances to to go for it. So we said, okay, well, let's set up a camp that in our mind at the time was was luxury. Back then it was it was okay. But over the years it's really developed into something that, you know, it competes against some of the best pure mobile tented camps um, maybe in the world. You know, Africa I yeah. still think takes that, you know, that number. But um we did it purely out of the idea that we couldn't get lodging and we always wanted to be close to the parks to ha- not have to drive 
hours and hours and hours and have this mm-hmm. private experience. And so that was kind of the impetus behind developing this camp and the camp business, which is a separate business from EXP, um, has really uh, grown and it's kind of taken out, you know, its own, has its own warehouse and trucks and trailers. And it's a, it's a whole big entity into itself, which is really exciting. Right. You know, I think people like Andrew, uh, has have done a phenomenal job building that up and Shane and, and all the people that have really supported it. Right. Andrew, your, your business partner who I've worked with, uh, quite a bit and Shane and the whole crew who run those that you guys have a really top-notch group of guides which I know is a focus for you because unlike in in Africa guides in America kind of are characterized by you know uh, van life uh, being kind of hippies not, yeah. not it, it not being really as much of a career um, as working in some other parts of tourism so can you kind of walk me through how your guys approach to working with guides and fostering guides is, is different. Sure. That makes the experience. Yeah, and, and right. I mean, I think you travel around the world and most people walk away from their trip and say, well, the guide made that trip. You know, the destination is beautiful, but the guide really is what sets the trip apart and makes it special. And I noticed that when I was traveling around the world and realized, and I'm nothing against van life because I've been there and I love van life. Um, mm-hmm. I just think, to be a professional at your craft, you have to treat it as though it is your career. And this is something you're dedicating your time and energy for, to, to become the best you can be. And so mm-hmm. our mission really as a business is to make guiding in the U.S. a noble and actual career, not just you know a summer hobby, for lack of a better way to say it, and, and really make it something that people can be proud of. Like... They are across the world, right? You go to Africa, like you said, you go to Southeast Asia or South America and and guiding is revered, you know, and I think that the amount of time people put in and and the responsibilities that they have when they're out there on these trips is enormous. And so we do a lot of our training for guides, not just on the geology and the history and the flora and the fauna, but but on service and on Mm -hmm. being a professional and how to really care for people, but also just deliver the best experience that they can get through, you know, through that one-on-one connection with the guide and the family and, and, and the whole group that's there. So that's been our process so far. It's, it's worked fairly well, but we have a long way to go. And, you know, the guide school started with, I think, two of us, and now we're up to about 12, something we offer for free. And it's awesome. You know, year over year, it just keeps growing, and more and more people want to be a part of it, just to improve their skills. And that's really what we're trying to do. So, what are the kinds of? I mean, you have these camps with great guides and all this stuff, but it's not cheap. I think it's like chime in. Of course, it's like seven or eight hundred bucks a night per person. Yeah, that's about right. It depends on where it is, right? Because if you're camping on in the middle of Lake Powell, there's boats and other things that go along with it. But yeah, Yellowstone, Grand Canyon. Zion, Moab, those places, that's that's about where it is. So for the people who are like, ooh, I like the outdoors, but I'm not big on camping. Mm -hmm. Why is this something that they should be experiencing? I think if people that want to be outdoors and they like that sense of wilderness and I guess isolation, you know, there's something about being with your family or your group in the middle of a incredible setting, whether it's in Zion or Grand Canyon, 
and being able to look up at the stars and have that just yeah feeling small moment mm-hmm. and the food is you know it's all chef prepared the staff there can really you know there's it's fully staffed mm-hmm. but that privacy and and i guess exclusivity is is what makes it special and mm-hmm. if someone's after that and there's no better place to go than the camp yeah and because you guys have these locations which are right on the doorstep of these incredible national parks which are otherwise very difficult to either stay within at a lodge like you mentioned or to stay close to because yeah at least at any level of you know really luxurious quality since the offerings typically aren't great right exactly so you start gaining this experience you're guiding people on these the hikes up whitney etc and taking people on these incredible glamping experiences and then you get a call from from i guess through a travel agent right that a, a finance firm in New York wants to do this team building mm-hmm. event and mm-hmm. they want to know if you can do it. So what goes through your head and what did they want? Right. So we had just done a trip for this particular agency for a, a family, uh, actually a father daughter and they had a great time and they loved it. And this same agency had this firm that was looking for a, a very unique team building concept and, um, which we had done, we, we have done, we had also done team building. I actually used to work for outward bound professional, which is the team building arm of outward bound. So I had a sense of it and I had some good connections there, but we were looking to build this out as something totally different and something totally outside the box. So we put together a plan for them and I was thinking, here we go. Let's see what happens. You know, I think we mm-hmm. had a good concept, good ideas. We had all the technical skills for repelling and all the stuff. And it was just more about delivering. And uh, this was what, 2000 and 2011, February of 11. And it, and it went well, it had a really cool element of competition. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the concept for that production? We didn't even have concepts on those ones. It was just more who's going to win. And uh, I still think that was, uh, they, they love that piece of it. And so um, we had, I think there were four teams and they earned points. It was GPS. So you had a GPS course that you had to navigate across this nice property, across the lake. The winner was just who accumulated the most points. And that was early on basic level team building for us in, in 2000, you know, designed in 10, delivered in 11, but it worked well. And I think because we were able to be the ones delivering the experience on the ground, that's where I think we, we really started to take off. And then, you know, where that concept really evolved was for the first time ever was in Jackson Hole, where we really created it as more of a amazing race and used yeah. a lot of the And I don't want to use that. I know it's a proprietary, but the, the concept behind it was yeah. very much point to point. And they did things like, you know, they had, we had we had them involved in the local rodeo. We had them on the mm-hmm. ice rink. We had them snowmobiling and dog sledding, and it was all connecting all these dots via the clues, right? And you had all you had to. There was nobody with them. They were using their own uh, methods of transportation, and that was kind of a breakthrough trip that said, "Wow, we can really turn this into something unique." And yeah. um, that it was great. That was that was the first one that I thought stepped it up to a, to the next level. Yeah, it's time for explain that gram. 
Okay. So I go back in your Instagram, pull a photo that uh, I assume has an interesting story behind it. And uh, for you, I picked out a photo from July 2018. You've got uh, you and Andrew and Eric, and you're all dressed up in these getups that are straight out of Westworld. Yep. So what was going on there? Because I know you I know you were at work, quote unquote work. Yeah, uh, that, was, I, that was a great one. I do remember that, that trip. We were with a different group, uh, and we had gone to this really nice property called Brush Creek Ranch, uh, which is in out of Saratoga, Wyoming. And there's a small pocket of that ranch that's exclusive use called the McGee Homestead. And mm-hmm. we were kind of continuously building on this concept of storyline and thought, okay, this group's coming from overseas. The brief we were given was competitive collaboration with some negotiating and wild west and, th- and that was it that's all they said and so we thought okay <laughs> how are we going to do this what are we going to do how do you guys develop a narrative around around that around that right and so we basically said all right we created this concept from back in i think the early 1800s they got to their ranch which they owned and they realized that the whole property was dilapidated there's nothing that was left. There's no land for them to work. And so they had to go out and earn gold. And we had put, you know, they had to pan for gold in the creeks, they had to catch fish, and they had to do all of these things to earn money. Um, Mm -hmm. Currency, which we created for the event, but we had built out this huge kind of landscape town with a Native American zone, uh, where they had to make copper bracelets, and they had to Uh, learn to play the native flute. I think they had to shape turquoise and do all of these things that they couldn't do at all. But there was all of these options. They had to rope dummy bulls. They had to shoot targets. They had to... uh, I should say, so I had the privilege of filming this event uh, with with my team. And Mm -hmm. uh, it was a... I mean, the cool thing about what you guys do is you make these experiences... I mean, they feel to the guest, at least like the, like being in a fantasy world of a movie. Right. And I guess I wonder what do you, like what needs to happen to get the guest to fully buy in to this kind of fantasy experience that you guys create? You know, that's a great question. And I honestly think trust is the first thing because we just send them a concept, pretty much four pictures of what we think. And that's it. Because (laughs) until you spend weeks on the ground, figuring it out, Mm -hmm. it's never been done before. And so they one need to know that you have the capacity to deliver. And this group did. We say, here's, we'll give you some progress updates as we go out, but it does take quite a bit of time scouting. You know, our process is very, it's very simple. You don't, you have this concept, but you go to the area and you basically talk to every person you can meet without any reservation or, you know, like, tell me what you guys do for fun. Tell me what happens here. You don't try to design it on your first day. It takes weeks of just exhausting almost anything that someone can do in that area. And then you use all of those puzzle pieces and you put them together with actors and different storylines and different ways to connect dots and make sure, you know, then you also have to get your math right because sometimes Mm -hmm. you don't realize a beat weighs so much and then 
it's uh throws your yeah. throws your figures off. So it's hard to overstate the level of detail that you guys right. put into these. I mean, you're talking months, custom maps months and months of months of planning. We have artists do renderings of like the old maps of the time, but then they draw in the current, you know, kind of where things are, but it's all new. So we're making it up. Uh, so we use Google Earth images and draw property boundaries and, you know, creeks and different things. And then we'll make maps of those. So it definitely has all these different elements to it. I think when most people think of team building, they think of like a ropes course. Right. But right. I mean, so obviously this is not that and it's it's obviously not cheap either. But uh, what are like the big experience areas you can work with to shape one of these productions? I know food is important to you guys. Unique sort of transportation options. You've got personal touches, cultural inclusions, yep. and then obviously like the privacy and exclusivity of it. I think the key when you think of these places is, you know, we not before we even go out to do the... I guess the initial reconnaissance is history. You, you read a lot of history about the, the areas, whether it's Tennessee or the Bahamas or the desert or Wyoming, the mountains. What happened then? What was going on? You know, what was mm -hmm. kind of the, what were there, you know, bandits? Were there pirates? Were there moonshiners? What, what, and how did that work? So you try to make it actually as, authentic as you can, because that's part of the storytelling in itself. And I think that's part of the fun for the guest is, yes, they're, they're in this kind of fantasy, fictitious world, but they're still doing things, you know, like making muskets. That was a real thing that people did. Right. Making pemmican, which we did. Up What's in the pemmican? Top. Pemmican is like a, what the, what the um, lumberjacks used to. So they would use it with fruit and meat and they would pound it together and dry it out so the meat didn't taste so bad they actually had some flavor to it and it would it would hold and you know so for this was for an event we did up in tahoe but it's something that's very real to that destination and people you know they don't they're do they're doing it because it's helping them progress through the game but they're also doing it and learning like this is what pemmican is this is what people did for example, making horseshoes in Tennessee. People yeah. did that around an anvil. Our group did it to make money, but that was a real thing that people did. Making moonshine, you know, that was all, mm -hmm. those are all things that happened. And so when you walk away from an event like this, you say, wow, maybe I won. But not only that, I also got to do all of these experiences that I never would have had a prop opportunity to do coming to this property on my own. And I right. did them, and I did them in a way that made made it purposeful. And I think that's really what we're trying to get out of now. In our, in our newest iterations of these these events, is bringing in all of those components. How do you get inspired to pick a theme for these kinds of things? And is there some? Are there big uh, kind of themes that you have wanted to explore, but either for budget limitations or? geographical limitations haven't been able to yet? Uh, yep, definitely. So a couple that I'd love to do, I'd love to do a James Bond in Monaco or Nice or somewhere in that kind of Mediterranean zone, um, mm -hmm. I think would be pretty spectacular. And then also right. I will, I've always wanted to do like a tombstone rendering in, uh, hmm. in an old ghost town uh, and kind of turn it into like saloons and, kind of the 
battle the okay corral type stuff. I think that would be really yeah. exciting. Uh, and you could do a lot with that. So those two I've, I've wanted to do. Um, what do you, what do you think a James Bond kind of experience would look like for, from a guest point of view? I think it would look like a lot of really cool toys, you know, yachts, mm-hmm. fast cars, zip lines, um, trains, and just, but I think the storyline would be a lot of fun, like a lot mm-hmm. of fun with the actors in different places and meeting different people and getting information and trying to basically play, play 007, right? For real. I mean, the Bond movies are actually some of, in my opinion, the best travel films oh, yeah. in existence. I mean, he's, he's visiting particularly the Daniel Craig versions. I mean, they're shot so beautifully oh, and yeah. he's all over the world. Agreed. It would be amazing. And I think Europe is a great setting for it or something over, you know, in that, in that space. The other one that I love, which we did was, uh, Indiana Jones. And so Mm. we did that in Costa Rica this past, uh, a year ago, December. And that was very cool. Uh, that was really, that was more for a family. Yeah. What'd that look like? Well, it was, it was different because it was for a family. So we went to their home uh, in, dressed in, you had actors dressed in costume to deliver a letter from the local archaeologist requesting their services to to help uncover the, you know, the secret of the tribes, and they had to UTV through the jungle and climb these trees, and you know, we had a blow dart course and slingshots. We built a pirate ship, and they had a zip line from the pirate ship to the beach. Um, wow you know, underwater, clam, you know, what was it? Clams and coconut husk, like all these local Costa Rican things that yeah. I, were just so cool. And the weather was beautiful. And we had everyone from six-year-olds to 70-year-olds participating. So it worked really, really well. Um, right. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a good one. And it had all the components of a true James Bond, or sorry, uh, Indiana Jones jungle theme. But yeah just done more for, for families which i thought was cool yeah. well you briefly mentioned like uh, so much planning goes into mm-hmm. making these but you can only plan so much and then there's always of course something that's going to go wrong always. Uh, or like you said like well, let's not say wrong let's just say change <laughs> <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> like like they have to carry a bunch of one thing but you don't know how you forget to think of how much each one of those things weighs and then it becomes like a very difficult or virtually impossible. Um, like what, are, what have been some of those, uh, changes, let's say that had, that have had to been made, or I guess like any funny stories about having to make, make some stuff up on the fly. One time we were doing a homesteading type event where they had to purchase wood we had a woodcutter cut the spec and he forgot to cut one piece of wood. Thankfully we had a saw <laughs> in the back of one of the cars and were able to cut that piece. But every team had the same was missing the same piece of wood. And very quickly we had to adjust the whole program around from a timing standpoint to get that done. That was pretty, pretty critical. I think the one in the Bahamas, yeah, I remember that we realized that, the Bohemians aren't willing to wake up at seven to deliver jet skis by eight. So we had to change our whole day around at pretty much 10 PM the night before. So yeah. that wouldn't be the first activity. It would be maybe the third, which would allow them to deliver them by nine, nine thirty, 
which ended up working out right on time. It's hard to, I I was at that one and it's hard to explain to people how difficult a change something like that is because these events take place over geographically giant areas, especially that one Mm -hmm. was literally, you know, between multiple islands. So you really have to flip the script on something like that. And I know working with, working with vendors is like a huge pain point for you guys because obviously not everybody is as service and experience oriented as you guys are. And it, it, it's virtually impossible to convey that it's impossible. to yeah, you it know, these local vendors, particularly if you've never worked with them before. Is that, would you say that's probably your biggest ongoing challenge Always. aside from perhaps a global pandemic? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, absolutely. I mean, I think most of the vendors are, they do a great job and we do our best to give them a big picture, but they just, it's really tough for them to see it sometimes because they're, they've never done it before. And they're just one piece of this whole big, big event, but they, you know, we've, everyone's always come through. It's just been a little more nerve wracking in certain destinations over others, particularly the Bahamas. I mean, which I thought was a great trip. It was just harder to, to get stuff, to get stuff done. So we did a lot more of it on our own. I think, you know, other well, things. People are on island time down there. Absolutely. Right. I mean, you know how it was. People just didn't. You just ended up having to do more than you than you ever think you need to. And um, right. physically, it gets a bit taxing. But I think that's part of the fun, too. Right. You know, when you're done with it, everyone's just totally crushed. And they're like, wow, we did it. It's over. And it happens yeah. so fast. And, and I think, you know, there's, you never know the, the kind of the interesting part is you never know how each, you, you can only anticipate the groups are going to do this, this quickly. We assume a certain amount of time, but sometimes they go faster. Sometimes they go slower. So we've actually, other pivots we've done is made events that are further down the, the line on the trip harder to slow them down or made them easier mm-hmm to allow them to speed up. So we kind of keep our window of time fairly accurate. And that's, that's been new. Um, that was a, some people, for example, what was it? Uh, we thought it would take them forever to spear lobster and they did it so fast. Um, which was, which I guess when we have to tie the lobster up, Oh, that was another pivot point. We thought we could just put the lobsters out. And then we, re- we realized that we actually had to tie all the lobsters together Right. Or else so they, they would swim away. Swim away which the locals yeah. told us there's no way they'll swim away. They're going to stay right here. Well, that didn't happen. They swam right. and swam. One of our Josh, who does a lot, pretty much every one of these events, he was he spent the better part of the morning tying lobster together <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> right. So not the uh, these these participants weren't exactly. A seasoned fisherman they, by the end no. of that event. And we also didn't want random spears being sh- shot through the water. So uh, it had to be relatively in line with uh, where they were supposed to go. <laughs> Did you guys bring in those uh, kind of handheld spear gun things? We did. We bought them and brought them in. That's We've actually had to do that a lot with places to make sure that we have enough. Uh, a lot of places you know, don't, don't have 30 what are called Hawaiian slings. And so we had to bring them all in. It's like this um, long spear, I guess, with a 
almost like a rubber band tip that you kind of pull up on and then when you let go it shoots out but yeah i mean for an event like that you guys have to bring so many materials so many um, because everything is built custom and and on this event yeah in the bahamas on site oh yeah yeah like we built fake pirates and we had real pirates kind of performing the sword fighting but then they actually had we built dummy pirates that they had to fight uh with various sequences and that you know just a a cute the interesting so here's the one what's a what's a normal watermelon cost here in you know san diego probably four bucks sure we thought oh we'll buy 20 of them so everyone can use their sword and cut the watermelon 40 dollars per watermelon in the bahamas (laughs) and uh, (laughs) so the budget kind of got thrown out by watermelon on the last day (laughs) <laughs> oh man you never would have thought it'd be the watermelon that would do you the in. watermelon throws it over the edge put you in the red <laughs> yeah it's so tough i know because once you commit to doing a program like this obviously you want it to be perfect or as, as perfect as it possibly can be yeah which ends up just taking an enormous amount of time mm-hmm. but i mean what does a program like this like start at for a company i mean these are these are groups of people obviously and they're yeah. flying in yeah um, but what do they start at? So they really start at $50,000 and then they go up from there depending on accommodations and complexity, uh, location of the event. Um, some of them are one day, some are two day. So yeah, I think that's kind of a starting point. And then after mm-hmm. that, and also number of people. So when you, you know, our big thing is we never want to be the the reason that the team or the group or the person can't go. So we don't want, we don't want the, our, our design to be the bottleneck. So if right. everybody shows up to the dog sledding at the same time, you have to have however many groups you have available sleds, right? So that way you're ne- they're never waiting on a, a resource. It's they're playing the, the game or going through the event at their own speed. And right. so if you had a hundred people, you just need a lot more, a lot more boats and a lot more things to to allow that to happen. So it, that that also plays into it. It just has that kind of compounding expense. Yeah. But obviously this year, we're all kind of stuck in the country. Correct. Uh, which ended up, at least for a period of time, being pretty good for you guys since you, you really own the Southwest and send a ton of clients down there. So what's your operation in the Southwest look like? So what are some of the best experiences that you guys put on down there? Yeah. So I think outside of the corporate work or the bigger, I guess what we call, we're calling uh, theme travel events. We do a, the majority of the travel we do is family travel, private family travel, or, or just private travel. And this year was you know, different, um, obviously came with its own challenges, but we are very lucky that we operate in, in the U.S. and people were willing to travel. Um, I think for us, if I have to look back and say, what was the best part of this year or, or one of the biggest wins our companies had is I think this year we didn't have to furlough anybody, cut any salary, didn't right. reduce any benefit. And every traveler we had was safe. And I think that you think back like, wow, we had hundreds and hundreds, I think probably 400 people we took out this year. And mm. everybody was... Safe. We had to institute a lot of protocol, but um, that was pretty cool for me. Doing things such as you know finding 
a, pa- a new paleontology dig site in the middle of nowhere for an 18th birthday to, to someone. All they wanted to do was find dinosaur bones. And yeah, we yeah. were able to go out with a paleontologist and find the skull of a hadrosaur, which had never been found before. This species had never been found before. And this yeah. 18-year-old for his birthday got to excavate that site. And yeah. no one around I me, mean, you were, you were there. You didn't, there wasn't, yeah. there wasn't anyone for hundreds of miles. It was crazy. Yeah. Quite a long drive down into the, uh, the valley there. The valley. Bumpy so, ride. <laughs> the long, bumpy ride. Definitely. And I think those types of experiences we do more often. I think that's why people looked to us to create the travel for them this summer. You know, a lot of private homes in Jackson hole and Utah, Arizona, it's a pretty epic home base for your guests to have uh, these Southwest experiences or to do a, a lunch on top of those, the tower butte there. That's probably one of the cooler things you guys do. Yes. Take a helicopter up there. One of the best. I think the best was the first time we did, it was a surprise bachelor party when the bachelor had no idea. He landed in page, got in a helicopter and we flew him up to this tower that's overlooks Lake Powell. And it's this beautiful spire. And, when he landed, all of his friends were there and they you know, had a big lunch. And then, uh, then they helicoptered to a houseboat on Lake Powell for the weekend, which was also super cool. But that initial just wow moment of landing there, having no idea where you're going, was probably one of my favorite moments that I got to watch. It was great. Was that for an unnamed uh, Emmy Award winning rap artist? He was part of that trip. Yes. He wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't The Bachelor, but he was uh, a participant in that program. Yeah. Yeah. That was really he's cool. A very cool guy. Probably the first time he's kayaked in a slot canyon, too. <laughs> or rappled. Is that what he called it? Yep. <laughs> I love rappling. What, what is this rappling you're talking about? <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think people have this kind of preconceived notion of working and travel. Like, you know, you get to travel all the time and mm-hmm. you're, well, that especially the notion that uh, you're on vacation all the time, but yeah. what's it been like personally and professionally for you? And I like the preemptive laugh there. <laughs> right. I think it's uh, like, I, I never feel like I go to work. So I guess that is a, uh, you know, a benefit of being in the industry. It's if you love to travel and you love pe- to be around people and to share your passion, then it's great. But that being said, there's an enormous amount of time spent you know, all the work for a, a trip goes is already done before the trip starts. You know, if you're still doing sure. stuff before the, you know, during the trip, you're too late. So there's a lot of upfront work in design and bookings and planning and documentation that goes into it. So I think the travel piece I love, I mean, for me, I got into it because I, I just like being with, with people and, and I love hearing their story and sharing the stuff that I like, like to do. But um, you know, over the years, I think part of the reason I've taken a little bit of a step back is I have family. So I mm-hmm. you know, spend more time at home and allow some of the younger guides, the newer guides to kind of step up and, and take more trips. But uh, it's the it's the best, in my opinion. I, I to go to places like the Bahamas and Costa Rica and have these just the opportunity to explore those environments with your friends, you know, I work with my friends and, and my family too. So yeah, certainly been, never gets old, never gets old, you know, and we've never done the same trip twice. It's not like we're, if I was still doing rock climbing, I would probably not be doing this anymore, but <laughs> we, right. we don't do that anymore. So 
the difference of every every trip helps make it make it fun. And some trips don't even have a guide, but you're still involved in in that person's vacation and, and the, yeah, and the planning. For those, yeah, for those folks, and you want every trip to be great. And so that's it's fun. When it stops being fun, I'll, I might you know th- think to do something else. But so far, I'm really enjoying it. There's obviously a lot of uh, large, maybe not a lot, but there are several large private tour companies i'm thinking of like the abercrombie and kent of the world that offer you know a similar genre of experience but what would you say makes you guys different i think the the fact that we specialize you know we are only really promoting and selling what we know and Mm -hmm. that we've been to guided in seen for firsthand and to us, that's very important to be one of our pillars is to be the experts expert, right? So mm. we, we do have a lot of travel agents that call us and we like to say the travel agents are the experts at knowing the experts in the areas. And so when someone right. calls us, we need to be the, the best at that and to know how to deliver a top end trip. And so I would say folks like those big tour operators, they actually are the they call us to do the work. Right. Yeah. And they send some of their clients to your, your tent camps, right? They do. Yeah. And we guide, uh, you know, we wear their hats. It's no problem. So I think we've carved that out and it's been good for us because you can't, you know, if you sell the world, you know, you never want to be, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep, but rather be a mile yeah. deep and an inch wide and do what we do really, really well. They have those round the world trips, like the kind of private jet journeys. Yeah. And there's so many other companies sell virtually the same itineraries do you know how it works with the actual plane because they have this plane that says like four seasons journeys or abercrombie and kent vacations Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be there's Mm -hmm. several but it's like all the same plane right they must so they're all working together at some level or is there some other company behind them that's kind of putting it all together bingo that's the right that's the way it goes someone someone Uh, who delivers it has that relationship with the airline or whatever plane it is and TCS. That's another one. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, there's only so many of them out there. I don't know which planes four seasons uses versus a and K versus TCS. I don't know that, but I'm Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's somebody out there delivering that program. Leaving some of that stuff kind of uh, behind now, but how many days a year do you think you're on the road? In a normal year, I'd probably say about a hundred. Okay. I know you, you guys drive a ton, but you guys also fly all over, particularly the Southwest. Yes. Do you pay much attention to trying to use the company miles on some of this stuff? We do. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think so. One thing with regards to airline travel for us is because the schedule is very dynamic that we, we almost exclusively book every domestic flight with Southwest, Southwest airlines, right? Free changes. We could, we change, I'll change one flight four or five times because initially I was here in San Diego going to, let's say Salt Lake city. Then I have to, Oh, now I'm actually in Phoenix or then I, Oh wait, that changed. Now I'm actually coming from here. Oh, now I'm actually driving to Salt Lake city. So there's because your client decides oh, we'd actually rather drive all the way there or something, something or, like that. Oh, changes. I have a trip book on the front end. Right. So now I'm just going, I'm, I'm actually already in Salt Lake because I finished a different trip. And so there's just, 
there's so many changes that happen from the, the initial booking, which we're doing those now for 2021. And if I buy a flight for a trip in June, I almost guarantee I'm going to have to change that at least once, if not twice. So, and I might have to change it not only for me, but I might have to change it for somebody else to come in. So the ability to be flexible for us is so paramount. Yeah. That's why we, we, we work with them. Southwest is like perfect for you guys too, because they have the free check bags. Exactly. You know, the amount of you gear always have stuff to bring. a lot of equipment, you know, not more for, you know, nice tables and tablecloths and coolers and picnic tape blankets and the stuff that helps, you know, binoculars, spotting scopes, med kits, right. all this, all the things. Right. The things that most normal people travel with on a daily basis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I like to close by asking everyone the same question, which is what impact has travel had on you and what impact do you believe it has on the world? That's a great question. I think travel has impacted me in every way in my life, meaning I met my wife, I've met some of my best friends, I've been able to appreciate other cultures, see other destinations. I am who I am because of the travel experiences that I have had and the people that I've met on those trips, more so than anything else. I got, I got engaged to my wife on the summit of Kilimanjaro with my parents. People love to explore, like people love to go out. I think we're seeing a little bit of that right now is that when people can't explore, they like yearn for it. Like all the other things aside, like being able to go out and traveling is one way of saying it, but just exploring a new place, going to a new environment, trying something different. That's what we, we do and that's what people want to do. That's Kevin Jackson. You can find him on Instagram at exp underscore Kevin or out in the field planning his team's next big production. If you enjoyed the show or learned anything from it, it would be supremely awesome if you'd rate and review it or share it with someone who might find it interesting. Doing so helps other people find these episodes. As always, feel free to reach out on social with any questions or comments. Once again, I'm your host, Ian Agrimis, wishing you smooth travels. Peace.